Australian True Crime, the nation's leading independent true crime podcast, is hitting the road with our live show. We're coming to Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane this July and tickets will be available starting May 10th at 9.30am sharp. They sold out in two hours last time, so do not dilly-dally. We know the suburbs of Australia are teeming with some of the most intriguing and chilling true crime stories the world has ever heard. Don't miss the chance to dive deeper and get involved with a live Q&A. With over a million and a half downloads monthly, these tickets will sell out. So keep an eye on our social media pages and check the podcast bio for direct links to purchase yours as soon as they're released on Friday, May 10. I can't wait to see you there. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. The producers of this podcast recognize the traditional owners of the land on which it's recorded. They pay respect to the Aboriginal elders past, present and those emerging.
The following podcast contains content of a graphic, violent nature and is not suitable for children. It's a good life that I provide here. I have been good to you. And you understand why it's hard for me to accept that you just want to leave. Before there was Ivan Milat, there was the serpent, Charles Sabraj who murdered young Western backpackers seeking spiritual enlightenment in exotic Asia in the 70s. Looking for two backpackers. I work for the Dutch embassy. Their families haven't heard from them in over two months. I have letters they wrote home in which they both describe meeting a French gem dealer based out of Bangkok. What is my risk next to that? What is your risk? He does. He robs, kills, forges victims' passports. He's the man known as the serpent, Asia's most notorious killer. I expected to feel great guilt. I did not. I felt free. Maybe you've caught up with the story of Charles Sabraj on the Netflix series The Serpent. It adheres faithfully to the book The Life and Crimes of Charles Sabraj, which was written by Australian journalists Julie Clark and Richard Neville. Richard Neville was the ultimate disruptor. When he got the call to write this book, he was 33 and already notorious as a co-founder of the anti-establishment Oz magazine. He'd twice been convicted of printing an obscene publication, although the second conviction was overturned on appeal. Richard then set off for London, where he founded a new magazine, London Oz, which became very influential. He was again convicted of printing an obscene publication, and the conviction was again overturned on appeal. This time, John Lennon and Yoko Ono were among the many supporters, and they protested outside the court during the trial. All of which is to say that Richard was perfectly placed as far as the publishers were concerned when one of the world's most wanted men, Charles Sabraj, was captured. Little did they know that Richard had a secret weapon in the form of his girlfriend, fellow journalist Julie Clark, who'd recently travelled the so-called Hippie Trail, the overland route between Australia and London via Asia, which was also the killing field of Charles Sabraj. Emily Webb spoke to Julie about the process, about the tapes of those prison interviews and about how it all affected her partner, Richard Neville, who sadly passed away in 2016. We begin with some background on the man Julie and Richard came to know so well, the serpent, Charles Sabraj. He got to become a psychopath through the fate of his birth. His mum was a Vietnamese girl from um, a rubber plantation village. She moved to Saigon in about 1943. She fell in love with the man she worked for who was an Indian tailor and moneylender called Gurmuk Sabraj. He was very charismatic and he had money. Uh, She was his mistress and she became pregnant with Charles. Then the father of Charles had an arranged Indian marriage as he was Indian. Charles's mother was very upset and ran away and married a French, a very lowly a member of the French army and had lots more kids. And from then on, Charles was sort of 
moved between Saigon and France. His Indian father wanted to have nothing to do with him. And so Charles felt like there was this lovely, rich world that he was locked away from that he he was entitled to, but he wasn't allowed to have it. And I think there's roots in there of him, you know, later wanting to, you know, rob people so that he could have a um, luxurious lifestyle. He was robbed. And then he also felt robbed when he he did very badly at school, not surprisingly, because he didn't speak French properly. So then he got some very lowly jobs when he left school. He didn't have any citizenship. Something had gone wrong because of all the moving back and forth. He had neither French nor Vietnamese citizenship. So when he committed his first crime and he had no citizenship, he was in a real mess. He was only about 17. He ended up in jail. And he was in jail for a few years because while he was in jail, he escaped, got back in jail again. That gave him a huge grievance that his youth had been taken from him. However, while he was in jail, he worked out that he wasn't going to waste a second. He spent every moment either working on his physical body or on his education. And he studied law. He studied psychology, starting off with very crude self-help books like How to Win Friends and Influence People, and then getting deeper and deeper into all kinds of those areas so that he could learn how to manipulate people. So he was kind of turning himself into a super criminal. He just totally took on the role of being a criminal. He never thought of trying to live inside the law. Also, when he was a kid in Saigon, he saw bombs going off in the street. He saw blown up bodies. He'd go to bed at night with bombs dropping everywhere and his mother would stuff him underneath a a big wardrobe and just leave him there all night to keep him safe. So he had a very traumatic childhood. She was a completely uneducated person. She was a peasant and she was just doing her best. So she would tie him to the bed to stop him running away and would tie a string around his penis to stop him wetting the bed. A lot of interesting stuff there when you think about it. See, the other thing is this amazing man came into his life who was the prison visitor who did unbelievable things to help him. And Charles did have an opportunity to start a new life and he could have done anything with the brains and the charm he had. But, you know, he could have done anything at all. He could have been a politician, could have been a lawyer, but no, he wanted to be a criminal. He did that so consciously. I'm going to become a truly great criminal. His first crime was holding up a he needed money. He read about a, an armed hold-up in the newspaper and he thought, oh, I could do that. So he went out to a little suburb and he knocked on a door in an apartment building with a gun and held up this young mother who was holding her baby and she gave him all of her savings. And that's how he got arrested the first time. Once he got out of jail after that, he quickly worked out that a really great crime is befriend, drug and rob. It's such an easy kind of a crime. If you've got the charm and he had that, he could kind of befriend anybody. So he could be anywhere in the world. He'd go to the bar, either of a posh hotel or a hippie cafe, whatever, depending on what he wanted to get. Make friends with someone, you know, have a drink with them, drop stuff in their drink. they feel all woozy. He'd say, oh, you've got the runs. Everyone gets sick in India or wherever they are. And he'll say, let me help you up to your hotel room. They'll give him the key to the hotel room. He gets into the hotel room. They pass out. He might give them more drugs. He might say, you know, oh, have, have this. This might make you feel better. Then they'll totally pass out for two days gives him time to clean everything out, get the key of the hotel safe, get their passport, get their traveller's checks, 
get it all cashed, put his photograph in their person's passport and leave. Fabulous crime. But he just did that over and over again. He really loved having a lot of passports so that he could move, you know, he could zip around the world and no one could ever find him because he didn't have his own passport. And because he could also change his appearance very easily. Once he said he was Peruvian, once he said he was Nepalese, he could say he was Indian, he could say he was anything. Yes, all it all started off being sort of glamorous, kind of glamorous. Much more glamorous than Ivan Milat, I think. (laughs) (laughs) The other thing he was great at was jewellery robberies. He did an, an incredible robbery in the Ashoka Hotel in Delhi where he took over the room, he rented the hotel room above the jewellery shop in the hotel and was going to dig a hole through the floor into the jewellery shop. When that went wrong, he got the owner of the jewellery shop to bring up all his best gems, saying that he wanted to look at all the best gems and tied up the owner of the jewellery shop and drugged him and shot through with all the gems. Yeah, he liked his gems, yes. Well, gems and drugs, you know, people have weaknesses because, you know, they're also easy to move. He ended up in jail in Greece for one of his many crimes and he, and then he did the most incredible breakout of that jail. One of his ways of breaking out of jail, he did it all the time, was to fake illness. He faked appendicitis. He would swallow his own blood, which he would get using a syringe. He'd take his own blood out with a syringe. He would swallow it. He would then scream. A guard would arrive and he'd vomit up the blood. He'd get rushed off to hospital. And in this case, they thought it was his appendix and they took his appendix out. Because that jail, Hagano Jail, was impossible to escape from. So he knew he had to get out of the jail. So he got to Athens. He was being taken back in a in a prison van. He had got someone to bring in a, a bottle of gasoline. He threw it on the floor of the van. He lit the gasoline, risking the life of everybody in the prison van, which was about 10 other prisoners and guards. And gambling on the belief that the guards in the front that had the key would unlock the van in time. And they did. All the other prisoners were caught, but Charles ran away. He ran off and he ended up in Bangkok. How did he do it? You know, he just kept on robbing people to get enough money to keep going. He'd hire a car and then steal it and drive it from Afghanistan to Bombay, you know. He did that many times. Every one of those escapades is in the book. Mainly, he didn't kill anyone. The first time he killed someone was when he rented a car and driver in Afghanistan, locked the driver in the boot, and drove across the desert and was really surprised to find that the driver was dead eight hours later. So threw the body in a river. That was the first time he killed someone. It was an accident. He said that he didn't have any feelings about it. He just felt practical about it. He just had to make sure he got rid of the body and he threw it into a river. And he didn't like the smell. The body smelled really bad. That, I think, was his strongest feeling was the bad smell. That was his first killing. But, you know... I wouldn't really say he was a serial killer. That's the whole thing. He suddenly killed. I mean, I don't know what the definition of a serial killer is, but I would think it was some sort of nutcase who really wants to kill people. But Charles killed. If it was easier to kill someone than not to kill them because of what, you know, he had, what he was up to with them, with his various 
schemes to do with smuggling and gems and drugs. If it was easier to kill them because it would shut them up, he would kill them. But if he didn't need to kill them, he wouldn't bother. That's what it seems like to me. And then the strange thing is that he suddenly did kill all these people in a string. It was just like very quickly, as he said to Richard, all those killings, clack, 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 in a row. Why? He actually said that to Richard. And, he, you know, he had an explanation, which was that he'd been hired to wipe out amateur drug couriers and that that's what they all were. In some cases, we were able to establish definitely that some of the kids were doing drug runs and some of them we couldn't establish. That's the sort of thing that is very difficult to find out once someone's dead. But with the case of the people from Formentera and Ibiza, we knew we had a lot of friends on Formentera and Ibiza who knew them very well and knew exactly what they were doing. They did it every year. He said to Richard that he had to make, the Hong Kong gang had to know he'd done the job, so he had to make a bit of a, a mess so there'd be publicity. So some, sometimes he he just drowned people and the, the bodies were found drowned and they were just thought of as accidental drownings. Um, but then some of the some of the murders were very violent with stabbings and setting the people on fire while they were still breathing. Thank you to our patrons Simon Finn, Sean Mays, Julie Turnbridge, Catherine Rose, Blair Adams, and Haley Briggs. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When did his actions really start to take, yeah, get the attention of authorities? Uh, well, that really took a long time because the authorities definitely in Thailand were definitely, undoubtedly turning a blind eye. I, I would say that Thailand in the 70s, the police were riddled with corruption and Interpol was not that effective. He didn't have to 
to kill people if he wanted to steal from them. He he had a really good modus operandi, befriend, drug and rob. And then, you know, he would leave the people drugged. He'd rob them. You know, if they were lucky, they'd wake up a few days later with everything gone, with their passports and travels checks gone. But they were alive. And that's what he did for several years. And then suddenly, once he moved into this apartment in Bangkok, there was this strange string of very grisly murders where there was no attempt to hide the bodies. He didn't have to kill them like that if he was just doing it to steal their travellers' checks and passport. And I, I just always feel so awful for the families because obviously back then no easy way of communicating and yeah. you know bodies were found and often it was quite a while before families knew what it had was happened. often it was like six months and a year before um, the bodies were you know identified and the families were contacted but that was partly well you know police investigations back then everything was much more basic you know, some people had very lucky escapes from Charles Sobrage. There was a couple who got poisoned in a restaurant who met him and were having dinner. I, I always think, gosh, they must have thanked their lucky stars every day that oh, they survived. Was so, we, got, we got literally hundreds of letters after the book came out of people who had lucky escapes and didn't ever know it was him. They just met this charming man and they'd had dinner and then they woke up in their hotel room two days later with everything gone. And then they, when the publicity and the book came out, they realised it was Charles. And, you know, I often think about why such a broad cross-section of people could fall for Charles because there was geology professors and there was advertising agency CEOs and there was there was socialites as well as being students and hippies and, you know, it was just everyone who could fall for him. And it was because he was so intelligent and he, he had the most beautiful voice and it could be very intimate and he could make you feel like he really really cared about you and he was really interested in you and he was very good looking and he was just so knowledgeable and spoke so many languages and he could talk about philosophy and religion he could talk about so many subjects because whenever he was in jail he used jail as a university and he just studied. Marie Andre was Charles's very beautiful, staunch partner. She's now deceased. She died many years ago. Did you meet her? Yes. Um, I got to speak to her a lot when she came to court. She was by then incredibly bitter and I felt that she, her heart was broken. And I do see her as a victim, even though I think she was definitely implicated in the murders in that she began to suspect something was going on and then she realised undoubtedly people were being murdered. So she did know and she'd come from, a, you know, a, a small town in Quebec. She was very unsophisticated and she was swept off her feet. She didn't stand a chance. Her journals really should be published as an example for women of how, how our lives can be totally ruined by a man and as a warning to women that falling in love with a psychopath is just something to be totally avoided. I feel so sorry for Marie-Andre. Her life was ruined and she went on loving him. Even in jail, she was writing him love letters and he was giving them to us. And she died quite young, didn't she? She had ovarian cancer. Yeah, she died in 1984. She was allowed to go home from India to die at home. At least she had the comfort of the Catholic Church that did give her some comfort. 
I'm glad she had some comfort. That's all I can say because she had a terrible thing happen to her and she was sucked in so slowly and she was trapped. Maybe she could have escaped, but not everyone has has that strength. She just didn't have it. I don't think she was a criminal at all. She just got sucked in. Oh, um, you're the gem dealer. I am not. He's the gem dealer. My husband, Anna. So you are Teresa? I am. And you are American. Where are you heading? Nepal, to a monastery. Why do you have all these traveler's checks? They're for the monastery. May I ask, have you been to nightclubs here? I have not. Then on this last night, before you retreat from the world, perhaps you should. Please take it. Want the monastery missing? <laughs> you fucking asshole. You're vulgar. You throw yourself at men the way you throw yourself at religion. You cannot buy your way off the wheel, Teresa. It is very American of you to think otherwise. And as you may know, Americans do not prosper in this part of the world. Fuck you. Hey, where are we going? Aren't we leaving her at the Santa Cruz? <laughs> we were living in New York. I was working for Australian Consolidated Press. Richard was freelancing, but at a very high level because he was pretty well known and because he'd written a book called Play Power and he'd written a lot about the hippie trail in Play Power and Sabraj sold the rights to his story and Random House which is a big publisher in New York bought the rights and signed Richard to write the book and then I had been doing the hippie trail as we call it at the same time that Charles was doing his stuff I'd been staying in the Hotel Malaysia just weeks before he got there and started, you know, his big murder spree. So it seemed like I just had to go along and help Richard, and he had to get the book written quickly. So we decided we'd, you know, he would interview all the uh, criminals, and I'd interview all the good people, like the police, <laughs> the police and the families and the diplomats. So we sort of divided it up like that, which made it much easier. And that's how we sort of got, that's how we got so much research done at I'm pretty amazed when I look back on it, on the level of our research. But it was because it was two of us and we were both obsessed. We, we were obsessed with it because we just loved – the hippie trail was such a great thing. It was, you know, how lucky our generation was to have that, to be able to live in Afghanistan and places like that and Iran and, and Nepal before it turned into a plastic waste dump. You know, we saw it all before it was wrecked. The reason why they wanted the book done was because everyone was sure he had committed these murders. The evidence was very clear. But, you know, we had to assume that he may not have. We had a tape recorder with cassettes. So Richard used that for his interviews with Sabraj. And he would would go to the court, Tisazari Courthouse, every day and 
because nearly every day the Sabrage cases, there were several cases going on, various murder cases, and various members of his, his gang would be there as well and his lawyers. So we would always just go and nearly every day Richard was able to speak to Charles with a hidden tape recorder, which Charles knew about. And it's so strange that Charles described to Richard all the murders in, in total detail. I remember, I'll ne- well, I'll never forget seeing Richard that day. He was ashen because, you know, suddenly we'd gone into the real dark place and we couldn't pretend this was all just, uh, we were just having, you know, an adventure. And you shake your hand and, you know, he puts his hand up to shake your hand and you think, this hand has cracked someone's neck, a girl's neck my age. And then everything feels very different. That was just not a big deal to him. He talks about that a lot in the book because Richard kept on saying, but how did you feel when you killed someone? Richard even said, did it feel different to you to kill a woman or a man? And he really tried to get Charles to think about how he felt and Charles just couldn't come up with any feelings. And that's classic psychopath. I think that's why the book is pretty darn good because it was Richard and Charles talking and They'd both studied philosophy and they'd both also, they'd both gone to boarding school when they were much too young. They had a lot of things in common. They were both very charming and very bright, so they had a lot in common. It wasn't as though it was some innocent, boring journalist, you know, who'd never done anything in his life, suddenly meeting Charles. Richard had had a very colourful, extreme life. And so they met and talked. Yeah, because Richard went to jail too. Except that, you know, Richard going to jail was a big celebrated event with everybody demonstrating about Save Richard. And Richard loved being in jail, of course. Charles was a bit unhappy with the book, but he did. He and Richard stayed in touch basically, I guess, until I haven't, until I go through all of Richard's papers, um, I'll find out. But they they were writing to each other and sometimes, you know, Say, tell Richard, suggest another, you know, avenue for Richard to write about or and he'd tell Richard what, you know, jail escape he was planning or what wonderful um, <laughs> um, reforms he'd made in the jail, all sorts of, you know. He just never stopped being pleased with himself. He used to phone. He'd just sometimes phone up Richard for a chat when he could, you know, when he could get access to a phone, which was often. He once phoned here in the mountains and Lucy answered this phone when she was about 12. Now, when we watch the series together, she says, I cannot believe I spoke to him on the phone. She still remembers that. Julie, your book has inspired the Netflix series The Serpent. What was it like for you to see your work on screen? Well, I guess in some ways it was wonderful because you know, how lucky we were to have that adventure. It, I mean, of course, it was to do with, there was tragedy for people, but for us, from the point of view of journalists, it was an amazing adventure that we went through together. And it was very exotic, as well as sometimes uncomfortable and often frightening. But it was lovely to be reminded of Richard and I having that intense, wonderful time together. And it helped to wash away the you know, the memory, that hard thing when people you love die of dementia is to try to remember who were they before this happened to them. So working back on on the series and the book just reminded me of what an astonishing person Richard was because 
he could just get on with anybody. You know, he could he could get on with the most sleazy criminals and they would just all love him. And then he could go to a cocktail party at the Belgian embassy and they would all love him. You know, he was just very charming and clever. I didn't even realize what was happening for quite a long time. I knew something was wrong, but I couldn't, who would, you would just never imagine. You never imagine really bad things are going to happen to you. You think they happen to someone else. It was, um, I didn't, I just knew something was wrong. And then very slowly, the penny dropped. He knew completely. The doctors had told him very, very early on, and he didn't tell me. He didn't tell anyone. He never talked about it to anyone ever. That was a really difficult thing, but, I, I mean, it would have been just as difficult to talk about it as not to talk about it. There's just nothing good about it, really. I just can't think of anything good about dementia that you can say. You just have to (laughs) get through it. Thank you to our guest today, Julie Clark. She and Richard Neville are the authors of The Life and Crimes of Charles Sobrage. And you can catch the series on Netflix based on that book. It's called The Serpent. Thank you to patrons Kerry Bates, V. Hexandra, Mill Peterson, Smudge Paxton, Tanya Outen and Courtney Malloyd. And thank you very much for downloading this episode of Australian True Crime. We'll be back next week. This has been another Smartfella production in conjunction with the Acast Creator Network. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
Australian True Crime, the nation's leading independent true crime podcast, is hitting the road with our live show. We're coming to Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane this July and tickets will be available starting May 10th at 9.30am sharp. They sold out in two hours last time, so do not dilly-dally. We know the suburbs of Australia are teeming with some of the most intriguing and chilling true crime stories the world has ever heard. Don't miss the chance to dive deeper and get involved with a live Q&A. With over a million and a half downloads monthly, these tickets will sell out. So keep an eye on our social media pages and check the podcast bio for direct links to purchase yours as soon as they're released on Friday, May 10. I can't wait to see you there.